the Diary of a CTO podcast. Sharing the secrets of successful CTOs. Brought to you by Trimor, the home of technology recruitment. Hosted by Guy Bevington. Cool, so Toby, welcome, cheers. Cheers, thank you very much for having me. Not a problem at all, not a problem at all. We've both earned that today. (laughs) (laughs) So Toby, you are um, the CTO for FundApps. FundApps is a, I think you'd say, relatively established reg tech uh, company uh, that provides, my understanding is monitoring and uh, automated compliance solutions for uh, financial institutions. And I can obviously have not worked in that particular space, but I can only imagine that's a kind of ever evolving landscape and a lot of very technical, uh, a lot of big challenges you've got to work with from a technical perspective, to sort of keep up with the evolution of uh, financial regulations and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it'd be really interesting today to delve into that and um, get a bit more of a steer on, on how you might go about doing that. Um, you personally have been at the business for nearly five years now uh, as the CTO. And you have grown the technology function to over five times its original size from when you joined the business. Uh, so from circa 10 people to over 50. Um, so, yeah, we thought, you know, let's get together. Let's do an episode of the podcast. And uh, I'm sure that a lot of value to share by discussing your journey um, that you've been on so far with the business as a technology leader and, um, and kind of go from there. But before we... We, we delve into that and your role at FundApps in particular. Uh, it'd be great to take a bit of a trip back through time to kind of where it all began for you and sort of where it started in, in tech leadership. Um, so, yeah, give, give us an overview, if you'd be so kind, as to how it all, uh, how it all began for you in the, in the world of tech. Sure thing. Um, well, I, I guess like loads of us, right, it began with an Amiga when I was a kid <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and playing with all of those... Uh, um, uh, Amiga Basic and demos and stuff on uh, that used to come on a on a floppy on on the cover of a magazine, um, and that 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 was sort of it for me. You know, it was a bit of a sort of lifelong passion, if you like. I went off to uni, studied computer science, um, partly probably through not knowing anything better to do. But it turns out actually, uh, the tech industry was a fantastic thing to get into. Um, after uni, um, got a got a job as a engineer software engineer java um it was in a startup funnily enough um i was there for sort of a couple of years didn't really go anywhere i thought okay let, let's see what the corporate world's like it, it was i think um sort of 20 years ago the the startup and corporate world was was quite different the startup scene certainly in london was was nowhere near as mature as it is today um and it was more by luck than judgment, I ended up in a startup in the first first place anyway. Um, so I did a couple of years in a, in a corporate environment, discovered I hated everything about it, including having to wear a suit. Uh, you be back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, sort of started looking for a way out, um, ended up going to, I guess, what you'd probably call a scale-up now, um, which was in the gaming industry. Um, spent a good bit of time there, nearly 10 years, uh, and, and that was the place that I sort of transitioned from being a, a, a software engineer IC into a, into a leadership role. Um, first in a more kind of technical specialist sort of leadership and then eventually into, in, into more what you'd call broad leadership and, and people leadership and fun- function leadership. Um, so I left there off, after a while sort of feeling like I'd done everything I, I, I could do. Um, 
took a little bit of time out uh, and then found my way to fund apps um, through uh, through through a chance meeting with with the CTO at the time that was was looking for his his um, sort of the person to t take the business to the next level um, and that's that's where I joined. Um, I, th I think probably actually it's almost five years exactly since I was in in the interview process. Right. Um, okay. So. So yeah, so it's it's been quite a journey. It's been a lot of fun on the way. Absolutely, okay, fantastic. So was it always a a natural progression for you to? You know, I speak to a lot of candidates on a daily basis that are considering which route to go down once you get to a certain level as an IC. You know, I guess there's these sort of two paths that seem to be carved out now. You know, one maybe go down more the sort of principal consultant route and uh, maybe assume more sort of pure technical leadership, but then you could move more down the sort of pastoral management route, which I guess is more of a logical um, step into the CTA role. So was it always a natural progression for you to, to, to move into leadership? Did you felt like something that kind of came naturally to you and, and something you aspired to, to, to grow into the role of a CTA? Um, I, th I think I probably always aspired to, to grow into that role, um, probably like many people when they start out their career, not really knowing what it means. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you want to be the boss and all this sort of stuff, right? And, and you, you know, you early 20s and you're full of, full of energy and stuff um and i think the at least the way it progressed for me was was um sort of technology first so it turned out i was kind of okay at, at writing code and okay at designing solutions and and sort of communicating that and articulating that to people and and that was that was how i found myself move, moving into those sort of leadership roles and and owning the, the solution and the delivery and all, all those sorts of things. So it was the the people and pastoral side of it came a bit later for me. I was already sort of on the hook for you know, sizable projects and, and successful fail without necessarily the, the the people leadership side of it. Um, and it was a bit of a bit of a shock, to be honest with you. The first time <laughs> I had to really manage people and yeah. you know deal with the one to ones and and all the rest of it. Um, it's it is something I enjoy doing, but but probably not where my core strengths are. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm very grateful. Certainly, at FundApps, we've got some fantastic people leaders and fantastic managers, and and they do a, a lot of the heavy lifting for me. And I think that that's that's brilliant in terms of just you know putting their arms around the whole 50 engineers that we are now and building those ind individual career paths and stuff. Absolutely, and I guess when you get to a certain critical mass where you've got that many people in the division, you really need that sort of, you know, those pillars, those people can rely on, can't you? Because there's obviously only one of you as a CTO, so how do you actually go about managing at scale whilst also being strategic and keeping an eye on the, you know, because obviously with that many people, your job could understandably become literally people management 100% of the time, but like you, like you said, as a CTO, you've got to always be uh, juggling those, uh, you know, those balls, I guess, and uh, keeping an eye on so now you've you've sort of gone through that incredible journey and I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into a little bit more about your approach of how you've grown the, the, and scaled the function um, but given you've been in that role now for, for five years as the CTO what qualities and attributes do you feel really make a strong CTO um, and, and a really you know revered tech leader wow <laughs> um I mean that's that, that's a great question. I can tell you what worked for me. Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> um, I th I think, you know, the the what what's worked for me at Fund Apps has been um, 
think sort of a willingness to to adapt and get stuck in and and you know certainly when you turn up somewhere as a CTO and there's there's, there's 10 people that that's not a you, you're going to be wearing multiple hats and You'd be on the page of duty escalation. You'd be getting up at three a, three a.m. And, and patching, you know, live infrastructure and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, it, well, it certainly makes you feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not at six a.m. when you're knackered, but 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 that. But I, I guess to, to 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 package it up nicely, it's for for me. It's always been about sort of that that calmness under pressure um and and also having the courage of your convictions um you know whether that's a, a sort of a 3am emergency and and you're not quite sure whether the thing that you're going to do is going to solve the thing or reduce the infrastructure into a smoking pile of rubble <laughs> or or it's a big strategic bet on you know what what might be a, a multi-month or a multi-year investment um being able to sort of Take a deep breath, think think a situation through, sort of sort of rationally. And, and honestly, it doesn't really matter if you're coming from the right point of view, but as long as you can go through those steps, mm -hmm. um, make a decision, and then have have the courage of your convictions to see that decision through is. I mean, it's it's served me well at Fund Apps, and I think probably in retrospect, it's served me well throughout my career. Has been to to have that sort of you know, calmness, detachment when you're making the decision and then yeah. really commit once you've made the decision um, yeah. and, and be there to support your team as well. So so you, know, you can make a hard call um, and you, you need to be there to, to own the outcome, whether that's that's good or bad. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great point because I think often people, yeah, they're not looking to always, to always get it right 100% of the time. But like I said, it's to have, you know, sort of, communicable process around why you've taken the decision that you've taken like say having confidence and courage in your convictions but you know I say a sign of a good leader is that sort of uh, swan effect I don't know if you've heard of that but basically where you know calm on the on the surface but un underneath yeah. you're uh, flapping uh, you know ten to the dozen um, but yeah I think that's a that's a really good trait and uh, like you said obviously you know being there for your people you know for a lot of the CTOs I speak to without doubt that's one of the things that I it really separates in my mind the, the excellent CTOs from, you know, the, the, the fairly average of those that you can feel they've got a real sense for the, the people they're dealing with in their team and they realise that their, you know, their success is ultimately down to the, you know, the, the, the happiness and the kind of um, you know, the people that they, they have within them. So, um, yeah, great, great, great points. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the journey you've been on then within FundApps. Like I say, it sounds like a hell of a, hell of a ride going from a, an eight or nine person team to, to over 50 plus um so how have you gone about achieving that scale and and do you take particular approaches you know replicable approaches when you go into uh you know a company to to achieve that kind of scale talk us through your sort of process there i mean look this this is the the first time i've gone in and been responsible for scaling a whole team and, and the engineering function of a team um so I haven't had the chance to try and repeat it, but I don't, I don't see why it, it wouldn't work. Um, I think the the guiding principle essentially that, that I've followed is um, allowing allowing the team and the organisation to, to, to be fluid and, and to be shaped by um, what we need to achieve and, and it's essentially what I call the shape of the work. So 
You know, this this idea that, that is peddled a lot in our industry, you know, oh, we'll have a Spotify model and we'll have squads and we'll have all of this kind of stuff and you can somehow cookie cut teams and an and engineering function. Um, I've really never seen that work in, in anything that, that I've been involved in, not, not really work. I, I think you can get like 80% of the potential success, but if you really want to get 100% success, then I think you need to... Um, really think about how you're designing your organization and by extension your software so so that it's it's um it's easy to work with and and it it fits the shape of the work that you do and and okay. w what i mean by that is you know if you were if you were punching out loads and loads of websites for example then you might organize in a certain way if you're doing a huge piece of work that's you know really deep work um AI stuff, training models, whatever. Maybe yeah. you'd organise in a different way. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, e even sort of big consumer businesses, um, you probably can't afford to to, to just organise every single team. Oh, it's, it's it's a two pizza team, and it's this and that, and they yeah. work in a scrum and they do all this kind of stuff because very quickly, different teams start having different specialisms and they start. They start, or they end up with with slightly different cadences. Whether that's their piece of technology is faster changing or slower changing, or you know the feedback loops are longer or shorter or or, or whatever, and and being able to organise around that context, um, being able to organise your your people as, as well for how much how much work there is. Right, so, some pieces of work you can only get two people around. Some people mm. pieces of work you can get fifty people around. So, so staying alive and flexible to to that the the, the concept the context being the shape of the work is, is I think the thing that's that served us well. And if you look at our evolution over the last four or five years, you'll see that every time that we've really thought about how we're going to design the the structure for, for the work that's on our plate right now and and treated that sympathetically had really really good results okay. and every time we've we've sort of gone oh well there's a playbook over there let's just do it like that yeah you, you start to see the the cracks at the edges because the playbook was written for a certain situation that was 80 yeah. percent like ours yeah and, yeah, and yeah. so that 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 gap is that 20 percent is very important isn't it i think so yeah, yeah yeah like i say a lot of companies will, will hear of the yeah it's very easy to get carried away isn't it when you hear of kind of like engineering utopia of those kind of businesses like spotify and you know, you will get leaders which really like to come in with these great ideas and evangelize a particular methodology, et cetera. But like you said, really, I suppose a good a good leader in any walk of life, but I can imagine particularly in structuring teams as a CTA, has got to be a real element of pragmatism, isn't there, around actually what's the what's the challenge we're trying to solve here, guys, and how's best to structure the team around that. Yeah, I mean, look, Spotify came out a few years later and said they never did it. <laughs> well, they never did it in the way it was written. They had not So, so um, to to then have you know hundreds and hundreds of people running around saying we must do a Spotify model and we must work like this and we must. It, it's always going to be you're always going to be on hiding to nothing. Yeah. Um, like so, some some because the things that always get missed are like well let's organise around things that the business sells and the things that are important to the business and all the rest of it and and so often what actually happens is it's a reorganization in technology 
and the rest of the business doesn't understand or doesn't come along as part of that journey. Mm. So you end up with, and, and this is like less and safe and all those like scaling agile frameworks and yeah. stuff. And and they're just putting control theater on top of software engineering, which is not the same as civil engineering. It, mm. it doesn't follow the same rules. And, yeah. and like as an industry, we've chosen a rubbish metaphor because everybody thinks they understand it mm. and they don't. And, and the more we kind of attempt to control it and constrain it and make it fit rules that the other types of work do fit, the harder it gets and the more you upset people and the more misery you bake into to all of those all of those people's working lives. And certainly up until sort of some point last year, they would vote with their feet and, and they would go get another job. Um, mm. So building a, a really great environment um, has meant that we've been able to you know, scale that team and, and do it with, with the minimal amount of hiring because we haven't been having to back, backfill loads of people. We've done yeah. that because we've created a, a great environment and a way of working that, that we enjoy. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great point because very often, you know, companies that we work with, um, you know, they're, they're really bothered about this sort of front end, getting the right people, like you say, the best caliber candidates they can find in the market. But they don't really go so far as to build this kind of sustainable culture that fosters retention. Um, so is there anything that you can speak to as to, you know, something you feel you're doing kind of unique in that sense of how you're retaining good talent within the business that, that would be uh, useful to know? I mean, you, sustainable is a great word, and it's, it's, it's something that I've, I've personally used a, a load because um, that, that sustainability... Uh, probably come on to it but sustainability you, you can use to mean loads of things um i think though that that look at fund apps where we're incredibly lucky in that um andrew our ceo and founder um has a background as, as a techie and, and occasionally we'll still chuck in the odd pull request and stuff which is <laughs> really mildly terrifying um but but there is a there is a sort of a, an organization organizational level understanding of what it means to do software engineering and what it means to do some fairly difficult software engineering as well um and that that improves the the sympathy um and the empathy between between teams um but i think one of the really big things that that's been helpful all the way all the way through is the relationship with the product team mm. and myself and, and johnny who's the the um, Chief Product Officer, we've always had a great relationship. We get on very well. We have very similar ideas about how product and software engineering should be done and how they should work together um, to, to generate great value for the business. And and not having that, not having that tension, not having that war of them and us. Um, yeah. The business is like is is one of my. Death phrases. If people talk about, oh well, what the business want? No, no, we're all in the business. We're all yeah. part of the same business. We just have different jobs in it. Yeah. Um, for me, it's really important that that engineers understand our job, um, product understand their job, the CEO understands his job, sales understand their job, but we're all trying to achieve the same outcome. Yeah. Um, and when you get that right, it, it makes stuff really, really easy. You've got great trust between each of the each of the different functions. Mm. Um, people will, will help you do your best and they'll pick you up if, if it doesn't quite work out for some reason. But 
that that for me has been the the, the key is is that sort of connectedness and empathy between between all of the different teams and functions of the business. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes life so much easier. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, look, look at some of the great uh, cultures of the companies, clients we work with, and I think the yeah the key word is alignment. You know, everyone is aligned, and I say, and, and there's that respect as well. You know, like I say, healthy respect between the different functions. I think often within technology, not casting dispersions over software engineers, but often <laughs> ego can play a part in these things, and it's kind of you know my way's right, your way's wrong type thing with the rest of the business. But but like I said, we're all in the business, and and we're all here to really facilitate each other and. And help um, help as a collective kind of get to that get to that end goal. Um, how do you then, as a CTO, bearing in mind you sort of taking this cohesive alignment approach, how do you go about creating that value for the business? Um, you know, for them to 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 see um, technology's input into the, the greater good of the goal. Again, um, good question. So. Really, what what we focus on there is um, uh, low, really. Um, so I'm, I'm sure people will be familiar with the Dora metrics and Accelerate and this kind of stuff. But for me, the big thing is make sure that we've got that that steady flow of value and and that we can point to you know um, features that have been released, product projects that have been delivered, that kind of stuff. But but that is constant. We shouldn't have, like, you know, feast and famine. There, there should be a, a, a steady stream of, of delivery. Um, and and we should be able to see that that is, is hopefully improving. And, and actually, we're working really hard to make sure that the the speed at which we're, we're getting stuff done today is, is going, only going to be better tomorrow. We're only going to be faster. And, and that's that's not easy, um, but that's where that sustainability idea comes in. Because if you can have that conversation with you know with the product team, with the wider organisation, and and put sustainability of of software at, at the heart of what you do, mm. then then your ability to deliver value, you know, not just for like three months or six months or how, whatever some some time box effort is, but you know, multiple years of ever increasing delivery of value, right? That that's that's super hard to achieve. Yeah. Um. But and and that that I think is where a lot of, a lot of the the tech and the business sort of arguments start start to crop up because you have technologists that are like, oh, I just want to pay down all the tech debt and I just want to do this, and they lose sight of why they're doing things. Yeah. And you have business people they're just like, well, I just want the next feature and I just want the next feature. Mm. But if you can talk about that sustainably and you can say, well, look, we we can do that. We can build you those 17 things in three months if that's what you want. But everything else we build is going to be slower. So by Christmas, we'll be behind where you want to be. Instead, let's do it like this. And then you can speak to the, the, the engineering folks and say, yes, I know you want to go and polish all of the things, but actually these are the business imperatives. These are the... Know, the things we need to achieve to hit our, our growth targets and, and what have you. Um, and these are the bits of, of um, technical debt that really matter. And this is how we're going to get after them. So so you can have that that kind of consensus, I guess, on, on things that really matter from, from both sides of, 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 of the spread of opinion. Mm. Um, 
make sure that everybody are aligned um, on, on that. Make sure that everybody understands how that's going to happen. And, and then just use really good engineering practices, you know, CICD, good quality testing, you know, make, make sure that you get your releases out really, really frequently. You don't have many fire drills because you have incidents and you have to roll them back. Delivery is predictable. The, the um, developer experience is predictable and smooth so people feel like they can have confidence in what they do. Yeah. Um, make sure that, you know, you're, you're designing your teams and your areas of ownership so that nobody has to keep too much in their head. Um, this, this is something we found. Um, uh, actually, we keep finding at various points on our journey is you reach a point where the, the sort of the breadth of software and systems and things that somebody has to know about is so big that they can't really get their heads around it. Or especially when you're hiring new people, it takes them ages to feel productive. And if you can if you can reduce that so that it's kind of more head shaped, whatever your problem is, um, then people can feel ownership and mastery a bit quicker, okay. and that means they can take sort of smart decisions. So they don't have to keep looking like a chick, like open mouth, like <laughs> to to a product person or whatever to be told what to do. They can infer it, yeah. and then you're moving a million times faster because you don't have to have this chain of communication every time there's something that's ambiguous, yeah. which is all of the time in software. Um, you can have people fill in the gaps and it will be mostly right. And if it's mostly right, then you're mostly going in the right direction and you can tweak a few bits around the edges and you'll get to exactly where you want to go, but you're not having these huge feedback loops on the way. And it all becomes like you know, self-sustaining, essentially. Really what interesting. We're going for. Yeah, I mean, that, that all sounds really logical and makes total sense. And uh, I can see by hearing that, like I say, the, the kind of empowering element of, of what you're doing there, kind of how you've achieved that kind of scale and, and obviously retains, retains good people. Quite interested to understand the kind of proactive element versus the reactive element, because I guess the regulatory landscape by its very nature is prone to constant change and constantly evolving and that kind of stuff. So how, how reactive do you have to be uh, generally to changes in regulation and how does that actually affect your product you're building? Um, you know, because presumably a lot, a lot of the, 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 the value in your product is automation and sort of, you know, automatically uh, flagging, monitoring and flagging those kind of things. But, um, but yeah, when you're, you're thinking of a lovely product roadmap and sort of working together on building out these features and then all of a sudden, you know, a whole well of a of a, a regulatory change comes along. Uh, how do you kind of manage those those reactive situations? So, um, at, the, at the heart of our product is a is a rule engine. So, we use that rule engine to encode regulation. Um, so, essentially, we've decoupled software engine the software engineering effort from the the fast or the the, the speed of regulatory change. Um, we, we have a team of people, we call them regsperts, um, and they're sort of, um, I mean, surprisingly, they are great fun at parties, but they're half lawyer, <laughs> half coder. Um, wow, that's a <laughs> chameleon. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so and, and, and their job essentially is to, to, to read, the, um, read, read the regulations and legal opinion, um, and they turn that into um, code in, in a DSL that runs in our rule engine. Um, it's, it's that, that that we use to sort of uh, encode in, in regulation, and we cover regulation from, I think, 105 global 
um, regulatory jurisdictions. Um, and so they're always, you know, at, at that level, there's always kind of constant change and clarifications and case law and all this sort of stuff. So they're always in there changing those things. But they don't, that that speed of change is is sort of decoupled from, from the speed of change of the product, which allows us to be a lot more strategic about where we invest from a, from a product perspective and whether that's a big investment in, uh, you know, performance and reliability or whether that's a big investment to add extra features or adjacent products or, or whatever, we, we can plan with a bit more certainty as a result, um, it's essentially because of the, the basic architecture of the system, which um, I, I have to give credit to, to James, my predecessor, and Andrew because it was all there when I arrived. Um, and we've just, just kept iterating on it and kept improving it. Fair enough, makes sense, yeah. I think that decoupling element obviously is uh, absolutely key, but it sounds like yeah, you've obviously managed to find a way to build in the, the predictable, you know, reactive changes that you're going to have and uh, continue to, to, to build out in a strategic uh, fashion, which is ideal. Um, so this this journey you've been on over the last five years, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, very easy to sit here and, and look back on things now and, and uh, you know, focus on all the, the goods but I'm sure along the way there's been challenges that maybe we didn't anticipate it's part of any any leader's role is to deal with those challenges like we've spoken about so what can, what can you identify I guess as some of the biggest challenges you've faced while scaling a, a division to the, the, the size you have and, and how did you overcome this? Again you keep asking really good questions <laughs> um, I, I think so so there's always there's a bunch of sort of operational stuff, you know, things break and people getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning and all that kind of stuff. But you just get through them because they're almost like tactical acute issues. The the bigger stuff has been keeping the organisation kind of relevant to, to um, the wider the wider business. I mean, obviously we've had COVID during this time as well, but that I think is a one-off. I hope, <laughs> um, but I think you know the 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 challenge that keeps coming back is is making sure that that we're at the right size and and the right configuration for for the work that that we're doing and and the ambition that we have as as a business. Um, so part of that is is hiring um, and you know, getting a really smooth hiring process so we can we can. Um, Get get through the the sort of the candidates quickly and and efficiently. Um, you know we've we've worked hard to make sure that we treat people really well in the hiring process. You know if they're not successful, we make sure they get get good quality feedback. Right. We it's like really important. We we like to make sure that it's a it's a quick process. Um, and and that that we're very sort of open. You know certainly things like salary transparency on the on the job spec, which is. A, a, is an increasingly important thing for people but we, mm. we've been there for a while um so yeah so it, it's it, it's certainly being good at hiring has has, has been a constant challenge and something that, that we've had to keep working at um mm. but i think i think probably more more challenging and more constantly challenging is 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 being good at, at retaining people and making sure that when somebody comes through the door that they have Really, really good experience, both in terms of onboarding, the work that they do, um, the the way we behave among each other, towards each other, 
uh, and and make sure that 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 team and that culture is where it needs to be has been. It, it's been a constant challenge. It's it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I almost don't want to call it a challenge because challenging. You know, people, it almost it's, has a bit of a negative connotation. Yeah, it doesn't have but, to be, does it? But 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 it's not. But it it it's been the thing that's that's been our point of difference. I think is is the the culture that we've built and and the team spirit that we've built. Way that people muck in and help each other. I mean, not everything is perfect. Far from it. Um, our onboarding could be better. Some of our processes are too slow. Our tests are a bit flaky. All that kind of stuff. But um, because we because we have that that commitment to, to trying to make it sustainable, keeping it keep keep improving our process, keep investing um, time and effort in, into making our lives better. Um, we're definitely seeing that go in the right direction. Awesome. And as a CTO of, of uh, a business within RegTech, what are you most excited about for the future in terms of how you feel technology can um, you know, really kind of add further value to the, the, the service proposition, proposition that you guys are building? I mean, it's a cliche to say AI, right? <laughs> It wouldn't be a podcast at the moment if we didn't mention Chat GPT in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I, th- I think that's that that holds a lot of promise. Um, I, I think you know a, a, a lot of what we do um, is 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 around legal opinion and that kind of stuff, and it doesn't take a, a huge leap to infer some of the benefits that 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 could come there. Um, I think I think more immediately interesting is 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 AI as um, as a co-pilot, um, and and the way that you can use something like ChatGPT to sort of essentially be Google and Stack Overflow on steroids for people, and and the productivity boost that that gives yeah. gives teams, especially when they're doing sort of exploratory stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you know how to code in a language anyway, and you know all the details of the system, then probably already beyond what ChatGPT can do for you. But if you're building something new for the first time, if you've never used this technology before or, or this set of AWS services or whatever it might be, then getting that boilerplate code and being able to sort of have it refined and, and not just sort of scratch your head and work out, okay, so this question that was asked on Stack Overflow was a bit like the thing that I want to... Like, it will do all that for you. Yeah. I think, I think that co-piloting is super interesting for engineer productivity. Mm. I love the way you coined that productivity boost, and I think you're dead right. That's kind of in all of the uses that that um, you know we've been able to find so far that have really been relevant for recruitment. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's not replacing the job of a consultant. It's actually just time saving, productivity boosting, and I think that's that's kind of where it's got a it's it's sort of greatest value to add for people is actually has it augment what we do on a day to day basis. Um and uh yeah I just think it's uh, an unbelievable uh, watershed moment I think in, in sort of the way we all interact with AI, isn't it? I know AI is a very uh, it's a term that gets uh, I, I'm I'm but, sort of looking forward to the point where people various people's AI assistants start you, you know that thing that that radio DJs used to do where they'd phone up like two different takeaways and hold the phone. Yeah yeah. So so there's gonna be a bunch of AIs doing the same thing at some point and, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that that might be quite good fun to see what happens there. But yeah, yeah it's gonna be um, like like all of these things, you know, it's, it's the old hype cycle, isn't it? There's a 
a load of excitement brewing at the moment. I'm sure there'll be some horror stories and, and, and some sort of disillusionment, but that certainly that product piece, uh, productivity piece, that, that feels like something that's here to stay. Yeah. I've got to ask, have you used it as a CTO in your role? Has there been any, anything in particular that you've thought, actually, do you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consult ChatGPT on this and, and it sort of gives you just a perspective that you weren't necessarily thinking of before? Um, so I haven't asked it any any questions like that, really. I have given it a road test on that, on that productivity co-pilot idea yeah. and that that's super cool, but I haven't... It's an interesting one. Maybe I should go and ask it. What should I do about this problem and that problem? How should I organise the thing? But again, I th I think j just knowing that the sort of training set of data it will have, it will have that. Well, what you should do is you should have a pizza team, and you should do this, and you yeah, should yeah, do that, true. and and Not I, always totally context specific, isn't it? I I, th I think you know, my view is we're beyond that, and and we should be everybody should be looking at the the, the type of work they do and, and choosing. The, the right organisation for the job. If, if that means you just need two people working on a thing, so be it. If that means seven or eight, so be it. But please don't have eight people standing up only talking to one person for 15 minutes every day. Yeah. That's just a waste. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can, I can see just from this podcast alone, I can see one of the reasons I think you've obviously been a very successful CTO is, you know, you seem to approach things very logically and very methodically and I think, but also very pragmatically. And I think that is one of the the better traits of a CTO that people really respect is that, you know, you can tell there's a thought process that's gone into everything, but it's not my way or the highway. It's actually looking at something and thinking, like, oh, what's what's going to be the best solution in this particular instance? And uh, I do think that's, a, that's an incredibly valuable trait of a, of a CTO, uh, certainly from a lot, of, a lot of CTOs I've spoken to. Um, Toby, really enjoyed the chat. I think it's been a, an excellent um, episode, and um, I can see how you've achieved what you've achieved uh, through through speaking to you today. And uh, I'd like to end every podcast in exactly the same way, which if you've listened to any before, you may know already, but <laughs> I stole the uh, the idea from Rich Reed, the guy who uh, wrote a book called If I Could Tell You One Thing, where he went around and asked a load of famous people for their one favourite bit of advice. So I'd like to do the same for you, if you'd be so kind. What's your, your sort of one abiding favourite piece of advice um, that you would like to offer your fellow humankind Ow. um so I, I i i think uh conventions are there to be broken so i'm, I'm gonna give you two bits <laughs> love it more value <laughs> um i i, I so I, th I think the first bit um somebody said to me was was as people we often un underestimate the value of optionality um that's that's super important so um you know, as 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 a CTO, as an engineer, keeping your keeping your options open, um, deciding at the last responsible moment um, what you should do, um, I th I think is very very powerful thing, um, and and having it, it takes a bit of courage sometimes to 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 not leap, mm. um, but but deferring deferring a decision. If you think there's a bit more information, could be really, really valuable. Um, and, and you don't need to, you don't need to leap into things with, with both feet quite as quick as you think you do sometimes. Um, that kind of rounds a circle a little bit from what you were saying earlier about having courage in your convictions. But so if, if you can do both of those things so, together, I guess. That's... So, so reorgs are, are, are kind of my case in point. Um, I think we've always like 
you know, you have organisations that do the giant reorganisation, and it's every like every two years or whatever. There's a there's a whole thing, and, and people somehow think that they can move everything about and put it back together differently, and then things will be better. And and I think that that's a very binary, all or nothing sort of approach. And actually, you're probably better with like an incremental evolu evolutionary approach to, to that change because you keep your options open. And and if at some point during that two year reorg situation changes you're actually able to respond much better than if you just hit it with a hammer and yeah. think um and and i guess the flip side maybe or the, another part of that is is the old thing about type one and type two decisions and and obviously the more the type two decision or the more you see that things are type two decisions and you keep them type two decisions the more of that optionality you keep and the, the able to respond to change and, and really that's what software engineering is about you know, go back to the agile manifesto all about being able to respond to change mm. so as, as 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 whatever you do the, the as long as you're able to respond to change whether it's the you know the performance of the system the shape of the work the organization the deal coming in whatever maintaining an organization and a software team that can respond to that is my money's key to being yeah makes makes absolute sense it always amazes me when you get sort of really hard and fast sort of evangelical agile you know practitioners when like you say the whole premise of agile is actually to be fluid and it is to yeah. adapt and it is to deal with change and, and you know you get people that it's literally like it's got to be so you know disciplined to the nth degree and it kind of flies in the face really of absolutely everything agile is, is all about isn't it of course it's got to be practices and there's got to be processes which you follow but uh, yeah i totally agree with you the whole point is it's one of the it's one of the, the great processes that allows for change and allows to how you adapt to that change so um yeah makes makes absolute sense Fantastic. Well, I think two great points to to end on there. Um, so all that remains is for me to say thank you again for coming on. I uh, really enjoyed the chat. I think it was a great episode. And um, yeah, I will keep my eyes uh, peeled for uh, all the future successes of, of Fund Apps and uh, keep keep bossing the the reg tech space as you as you have been doing. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. No worries. Take care. Cheers.